Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on June 10th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is the editor at Game Critics. How are you, Brad? Uh, to be honest, I'm a little bit miserable today. But <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, be honest. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. I was just telling my wife, my wife, I, what, what did I say? Jesus Christ. Uh, it was, uh, as you can tell, I'm not in top podcasting form today. <laughs> I was just telling my wife three minutes before I got here because I woke up four minutes ago uh, <laughs> that I feel like my life is wildly out of balance right now and I need to find my center again but I will not find it today so that's where that's where I'm at right now this podcast is going to be a hot fucking mess and I uh, <laughs> apologize to all of our listeners but uh, we're moving heaven and earth to record this uh, episode today so we could because we love the listeners and we dedicate we are dedicated to the listeners I can't talk either today but uh, but I'm here that's about all I, I'm here that's that's where I'm at right now all right. Good, good. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I... So, like, last night I went to Pride Fest, which is, like, gay pride parade stuff in New Orleans. And I'm also, like, the slightest bit hungover today. But those two events actually have nothing to do with each other because I'm what? such... I know, I'm such a fucking old man that, like, I went out, Patrick and I went out to the Pride thing last night, and then we're basically home by, like, 10.30 last night, and then we just kind of, like, sat around and, like, ate and watched TV, and I had, like, last night, uh, he went to bed, and I was, like, editing photos and stuff, because um, I haven't really sat down to edit in a while, because I've been prioritizing video games lately, um, and I had, like, a pretty strong beer, and then I made an old-fashioned, and, like, during the day yesterday, we had been at a work, like, party thing for his coworkers and friends and it was like a pool party so I was drinking like I think like I'm not hungover because I drank a lot I think I'm just hungover because like during the day yesterday I was drinking like alcoholic punch but I was never like drunk or anything yesterday I was just kind of like drinking it and I was like eating a lot of different kinds of food and a lot of like junk food like cookies and brownies and then like I followed up my end of the night with um with like a strong beer and old-fashioned, and I had, like, an Asian-y dinner right before, so it was just, like, all of these different kinds of food, like, you know, rumbling around in my tummy, and I woke up today, and I was like, oh, God, like, I don't feel awful. Like, I'm not, like, hungover to where I need to, like, sit in the bathroom in front of the toilet, like, nowhere near that, but I've just, like, had, like, a little headache, and I'm a little bit tired, and I get kind of sweaty sometimes when I'm hungover, and it's kind of gross, but that's where I am today. So we're, right now, we're meeting each other where we are. <laughs> oh, God. Sounds like we're at a fucking rehab meeting or some shit. <laughs> oh um, but let me, okay, so let's lay some ground rules today for the podcast. So um, as, you know, listeners, as you probably can tell, uh, this show is going to be a tad bit different than normal like brad and i we cannot apologize enough for how like weird our recording schedule has been lately because we've been recording on different days sometimes we record banter first sometimes we record at last like we've just kind of been all over the place we've been doing a lot of short shows because brad's really busy um i've been pretty busy lately and i'm about to go on a business trip which i'll talk about in a minute this week so like we're trying to cram like two shows in in two days so 
Um, so basically, here's what's happening. For this show, it's going to be another pretty short show. We're aiming for about an hour and a half. Um, we're actually recording the banter first, a very light banter. We're going to put it in the show first. So we're just recording one sound file. So if you don't like banter and you're listening to the show, please check the timestamps in the show. We will put uh, uh, the banter notes in there so that you can get right to the games if you want to and skip all this stuff. Also, you might be thinking, we're right in the middle of E3. Um, this is going to be an E3 show, right? Like, we're going to talk about the stuff from the press conferences yesterday. Um, unfortunately, we're not. Uh, we are going to talk about games today. No E3 talk today. But we are going to record, like, a midway E3 show. If all goes according to plan, tomorrow, actually, we're going to record again. We're going to do back-to-back shows um, games today, we're going to do a midpoint in E3 tomorrow, which I think about half the press conferences will be done by the time we record tomorrow. The reason why we're recording today and tomorrow is because I'm going on a business trip on Tuesday morning, and I'm going to be out of town for like almost a week, and there's like no chance that I'm going to be able to record because I'm going to be really busy at work conferences, and then I'm flying to Phoenix um, to go on vacation directly after my work trip. So we're going to kind of like do two shows back to back put them out so that way you guys can have a couple shows. And then whenever I get back from vacation, we'll do our like full E3 wrap up show, probably the middle of next week, uh, early next week or something like that. And then, and then that'll be, it'll be like, you know, nobody will care about E3 at that point. Cause it'll be like a week after it, but we care about E3. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to give you our impressions, um, as a wrap up, like in about a week and a half or something like that. Um, so did I cover everything, Brad? Is there anything you need to add or that I missed? No, I think you covered everything accurately. And when I hear you talking back, like saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, my God, what a, we're, we're a mess. <laughs> we're such a mess right now. I was, it's, you know, you were talking about the E3 shit. And like, as you said, that, that half the conferences would be over by tomorrow or whatever. Um, I was like, God, I, this is probably the first time in years that I literally didn't even know E3 was going on until like yesterday. Like when you told me about it, I, I kept thinking it was later. And then the fact that that conferences are like already over and I haven't seen or heard anything about them. I'm just like, I am so disconnected from the zeitgeist right now. It is ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, we'll be talking about these games on from E3 and I'll be like, I'll be like learning about them four minutes before we record and then I'll, you know, jeez, <laughs> uh, it's crazy right now. Yeah. I mean, EA was the big one yesterday and they talked about Anthem a lot and they talked about Battlefield and I guess Microsoft's is today. Like it'll probably be happening like pretty much right after we finish recording. So that'll be interesting to see what they're going to do. Um, and then I think Sony's isn't until after we were going to be recording. I think Sony's is like Tuesday or something. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. Like, it's just, like, all this stuff happening together. Like, you've been really busy. I'm about to go on a business trip. We're trying to cram the shows in. And, of course, E3 is happening right now. So it's, like, the the perfect disaster of, like, all this stuff lining up at the same time. So our shows are going to be a little bit weird. But, you know, that's just the way we roll on this show sometimes. Yeah, that's just that's just how it is. So uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are, at least we're doing a show. At least we're At least we're doing something. So... So, Corey, we're here now, and uh, since we're kind of just bullshitting around, I would like to hear um, a little bit about Pride Fest, because that kind of ties into, uh, I have a couple banter topics, but one of mine sort of sort of ties into Pride, not really, but how was, how was Pride Fest, by the way? Um, it was pretty good. So, 
Last year, Patrick and I missed it because I think we thought the parade was on a different day than it was. And so we didn't figure it out until after it had happened. We were like, oh, the parade was actually yesterday. And so we didn't really do anything last year. But there is a thing in New Orleans called Southern Decadence, which is a different... um, It's a different event than Pride, but it's also, like, a very, very gay event. Like, it's all about, like, gay culture and, like, drag queens and stuff like that. So we did go to Southern Decadence, so I feel like we kind of, like, got, like, our second wind of Pride that we missed last year. But this year, we actually went, and, I mean, really all we did this year was go to the parade um, because it's New Orleans, so there's parades for, like, everything ever. I mean, it's pretty much, like... If, like, I don't know, like, someone gets in a car accident, like, oh, let's have a parade for this thing that happened. Like, it just seems like there's parades for everything here, which is cool. Um, So, like, the Pride Parade, it just kind of goes through downtown. We were on, uh, we were down there, and, I mean, really, it was just, like, I I feel kind of bad saying this, but I feel like as far as New Orleans parades go, like, kind of, it's kind of like if you've seen one, you've seen them all, like, it's just a bunch of floats going by. Some of them are people on actual floats. Some of them are just, like, dancers, like, walking down the street and marching and, like, dancing and stuff. And um, But it's really cool. I mean, it's nice. It was really nice to see, like, to actually be out there. And, you know, I always – I feel terrible saying this because, like, I'm a gay man and, you know, I should know more about, like, my own culture. But it's really cool being out at a Pride event because you get to see, like, how diverse um, – not only, like, gay or lesbian or bi or trans people are, but, like, people that support them. Because, like, you know, several years ago, there might have been, you know, sort of, like, a little bit of friction where it's, like, oh, well, you shouldn't go to Pride unless you're, like, actually gay or actually, like, a lesbian, you know, or this or that, or actually, like, maybe uh, questioning or queer or whatever. Like, you know, like, straight people, like, shouldn't be there. But the more, like, things have been coming around lately, I feel like, to where... I, I don't there's like a lot of judgment in the gay community and I feel like uh, the gay community has kind of been getting to a place or trying to get to a place lately where we were or at least me and I hope other people like I've seen some of this on Twitter like where we need to stop like trying to like box people in and like judge them and like gatekeep whenever it comes to stuff like this because like you can't look at someone and be like, oh, obviously that person's gay or, oh, obviously that person's straight or, you know, because it's like, yeah, maybe it is a straight person at Pride, but maybe, um, you know, maybe it's a man and woman together, but who knows? Maybe they're both bisexual. Like maybe one of them is trans, you know, or something like that. Or maybe they are questioning their sexual identity and it doesn't matter if they're 15 or if they're 65, like this kind of stuff can happen at any point in their lifetime. And so it was nice being downtown last night and just seeing, like, how diverse the crowd was and how sort of, like, um, like punk rock the gay scene feels in New Orleans. And I'm sure it's like this at a lot of other places, but it's just, like, a lot of different people, a lot of different, you know, backgrounds, it looks like, and, you know, people with, like, a lot of, like, piercings and tattoos, you know, like, wearing leather. And it's just, like, cool to see, um, you know, like both sides of it like you know there was uh what i'm assuming is a trans person that i saw last night who was looked like their physical build was very masculine um you know a lot of muscle um very like great physical appearance but they were wearing uh like presenting themselves in a femme way like with you know wearing kind of like a tube top and like a skirt and like cool shoes and it's just cool to see that like to see people not being afraid to express 
you know, their identity or to feel like, you know, they, you know, maybe they can't express that identity on a regular basis or maybe they do. Like, I, I don't know how they, they run their lives, but, um, I don't know. It's just cool to be out and see that. And of course, like the floats, you know, like some of them are really tame. Like, it's just like people throwing beads or something, but some of them it's like, there was a, a float for scruff, which is like a gay dating app, like a, a phone app. And, you know, on that float, it was all like really buff, like ripped dudes. And one guy was wearing like a harness and like a thong that just had this little like leather pouch to hold his junk. And it was like, you know, the other dude was like squeezing his ass on the float and everything. So you get like a lot of different things. Like you might think that gay pride is like super raunchy and that it's all like, you know, like dudes with their dicks out on every float, but it's not really like that. Like some of them are more conservative. There's actually a lot of like church groups that were in, uh, in the pride parade, you know, that were kind of like, you know, Hey, you know, this is a church, but we're open to everybody. You know, everybody can come here. And, you know, there were a lot of women who were marching in the parades who like had their boobs out, but they had like pasties or something on and they were just like dancing around and having a lot of fun. And it's cool that like, I don't know that like New Orleans like allows that to be a thing in a way where it's like there's kind of like no rules and you can kind of do what you want. And it's I don't know. It's nice. Like, I, I don't think that I would ever march in the streets like with my dick out or like in a thong or like a crop top or anything. But it's cool to see people doing that and to feel like they have this safe space to do that, because if it weren't pride, then maybe it would be a lot more dangerous to do something like that. Um, but I don't know. It was cool. I mean, we went. Walked around, got a drink at um, a bar downtown, and then basically just came home because it was hot and we were sweaty and it was gross. And I felt like like my whole body was just like damp from how warm it was and it was nasty. But it was a good time. I mean, it was it was it was a good time, I guess. Well, that sounds excellent. I uh, have been to a few pride parades. Um, we haven't gone recently because it always seems to fall in a day when I always have like work, which is really unfortunate. But um, we keep talking about wanting to go, and here in Seattle, they do they do like several pride parades because um, the Capitol Hill area of Seattle, it used to be super gay. I feel like it's a lot less gay, and I feel like it has <laughs> lost something for that. Has it so been the, like gentrified lately? Yeah, all the fucking way. like um, Amazon dudes and the and I do say dudes like there's a lot of bros in the area now. <laughs> like for a while, um, like when I was going to college, it was it was really gay. And then, like, at least once a week, we would have, like, some douchebags from the fucking University of Washington would, like, get drunk and come down to to, uh, to Broadway and, like, you know, fuck some gay guys up or something. And, like, they would start shit. And we would hear that all the time. And it was kind of this little um, point of friction. And then it just... Then that kind of chilled out. And then it was just, like, super gay for a while. And now... <laughs> and now it's, like... It's, like... It's actually, like, less gay. And I feel kind of sad because, like, that was where I went to school. That was where I spent a lot of my youth growing up and hanging out with friends and stuff. A lot of, like, really good memories of being there. And now seeing it, like, kind of co-opted by shitty, like, chain restaurants or, you know, establishments and, like, a lot of, like, you know, obviously straight, like, Amazon guys who are coming in and just, like, buying up the property. And it's just, it's just, I mean, you know, things change. And I don't mean to be like, oh, you know, back in my day, things were different or whatever. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's kind of how I feel. I mean, it was, like, a really cool area and really cool neighborhood. And I feel like something's been lost. But anyway... I say that because they they are still fairly gay, and so they will have like a really um, family oriented kind of a you know bring your kids and it's totally fine like no one's gonna be too naked. I mean somebody might be naked or whatever, but not like mega naked, (laughs) 
you know, like you're not going to see the more the more freewheeling uh, exhibitionists uh, on display. You'll you know, lots of kids. There's like activities and it's all centered around pride and it's really cool. We keep meaning to go to that one, but I'm always fucking working. And then like later on at night and like the next day will be the more traditional, you know, like junk pouches and naked <laughs> lesbians on bicycles and stuff like that. So, yeah. But um, it's funny you say that because. I was actually thinking about a very similar topic and I didn't read your script where you had mentioned you're going to mention pride until after I got home, but I was already thinking of this. So it's actually good timing because, you know, as you know, I've been working like a million hours, uh, working on the hunchback of Notre Dame, which is playing at the Seattle's fifth Avenue theater. Come buy tickets now. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I, I love the theater. I am not a theater person. Like I'm not an actor. I am not, uh, somebody who wants to get up, on stage and stuff like that. But I do enjoy the theater environment. Uh, it's a really creative place. Everybody is really expressive and really just, you know, everybody's interesting. And working on um, Hunchback, like at least 75% of the people that I work with are like either gay or lesbian or bi or something. Like it is, there's very few straight people in the place where I'm working, which is totally cool. Like I just, I love the environment. And it kind of reminds me too of my actual job which, I mean, if anybody has been following or if you've been following me on Twitter, so I do, I, I do a lot of interpreting uh, in, my, in my daytime job. And interpreting in Seattle, or actually in, in anywhere, is like, it's like 90% women. And of the 10% that are men, 90% of those are gay. So, like, <laughs> being a straight, straight dude, like, not even, I'm not even kidding. Like, that is totally true. Like, so I'm like a minority of minority in my, in my chosen field. And that's always been fine. I get along with women totally fine. I love gay people or anybody who is, like, you know, slightly different from what America perceives as quote-unquote normal or whatever. I I love it. I, I mean, I love all these folks. And so when I am sitting here at the theater, especially because I've been spending so much time there, which kind of relates back to my life being wildly unbalanced right now. I mean, I'm working, like, regularly working, like, 12 and 14-hour days, which is, like, exhausting. I, like, barely see my family anymore. And, um, two more weeks and then, and then we're good, which is good. Um, looking forward to getting back to my family, but I'm just sitting here talking to these folks and I'm just, I'm loving the feeling that like literally everybody is like queer or gay or they're just odd or they have a weird backstory or they just dress funny or whatever. And like, it's totally fucking fine. Like, like nobody thinks anybody else is weird nobody acts weird like everybody's hanging out with everybody there's like total respect like on every level and i you know i realize that being in this theater is just like its own little microcosm and maybe that you know i i know it doesn't extend out to the rest of the world but i was like oh my god like what a wonderful place this would be if like everybody everywhere would just be so accepting and so cool and just laid back and just like chill the fuck out about other people's differences it would be so great. Like, I mean, I get, I get a little glimpse of it, you know, by being immersed in this, in this little environment that I'm, this little bubble that I'm inside for a couple weeks. And I just, it's just such a wonderful feeling. Like I love, some people are really old. Some people are really young. A bunch of people are gay. There's a couple people who are straight. I think we have a couple trans people and I just like, I mean, just, it's, it's fine. It's totally fine. Nobody cares. It's not an issue. No one's upset about anything. And we're just people. We're just people doing our job. We're just people doing, you know, telling stories. We're people hanging out in the break room. Everybody's got something funny to say, <laughs> sharing cookies. I mean, it's just like, it's just like the best fucking thing. And, um, I just, I just wish that we could share that with like the rest of the world. Like I wish it's, it's so happy and fun and positive and warm and just 
amazing to like be in a place like that and I, I just I want the rest of the world to experience that yeah that's kind of I mean how I feel about when I go to pride functions in general too like it's cool to see everybody feeling so comfortable that like that's the way that they can be all the time and to think that like you know and the current state of the you know maybe not even just the United States but maybe like the world that it's not easy for people to express themselves in that way because like you know the second you sort of like deviate from what uh you know the world or the united states is set up as like sort of like the de facto person um you know people get uncomfortable with that kind of thing and you know sometimes uh uh friction can ensue sometimes violence can ensue sometimes even like death can ensue so um yeah it's just a shame that like when you think about um, or when I think about, like, stuff like that, like, you know, people who are different, you know, quote-unquote different from, you know, like, the norm of society, that, like, you know, when you have people who see that and they're so uncomfortable with that, that they feel the need to, like, be rude or to say something or to even, like, be violent against those people, like, you know, it's really, like, like it's 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 such a simple way to boil it down but it's just like it's totally like a what's like what's your problem moment like because it's literally not like like the gay person's problem like it's the straight or whoever the person is who like has a problem with it like it's literally their problem like if they just didn't have a problem with it or if they did just like kept their fucking mouth shut like the world would be in so much of a better place like it's just I just, like, could not imagine a scenario in my lifetime where I saw, like, I would see someone, like, representing, you know, like, their authentic self, for lack of a better word, uh, and and feel so uncomfortable with that that I would, like, commit violence against them. Like, it's just, that's such a foreign thought to me, but it also scares me because there's a lot of people out there who immediately jump to that, where it's, like, you're making the way you present yourself is making me uncomfortable. So I feel the need to say something about it or act on that. And it's like, you know, it's none of your fucking business. Like why, like, could you imagine having like the mind space or an ego that's so small and so shriveled and so easily manipulated by the way someone else represents himself that you feel the need to speak out or, hurt someone who is representing themselves and just going about their daily life, maybe in a way that's slightly different from yours. Like it is just incredibly silly to me that that is the way people operate. And that's sort of like a de facto way that some people operate. And it's really, uh, I don't know. I mean, as a gay man, it makes me uncomfortable in my day to day life. But, um, I mean, that's just the way things are right now. And all we can hope is that they will get better in the future. You know, Yes. Everything you said, yes. Um, I think that it's unreal and bizarre to me that some people, all you have to do is do nothing. Like, just like you <laughs> said, like, if for whatever reason you don't care for a person that you come across, who cares? Like, you're not married to that person. You're not fucking that person. You're not their <laughs> friend. All you have to do is do nothing and, like, just go about your fucking life and let them go about their fucking life. And then it's fine. But people, you know, like you said, some people get so scared and they're so like narrow minded. And I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm just going to be honest and say, like, I think we have a lot of like people in the world who are just really fucking stupid. Like they're just not using their brains. They're not thinking. 
And I mean, there's there's many reasons for this. We don't have to dive into like what creates a stupid person in the world. But like, if you just think about it for five seconds, logically, there's no reason you should ever lash out against anybody like that. Nobody's coming to like turn you gay or no one's coming to you know like any of that shit like what are you even worried about like who cares like just if you don't like it remove yourself from the situation and then just leave and do something else do whatever you like like you don't have to like piss on somebody else's parade like it just it's so crazy to me but um i mean and also and also it leads to so much unhappiness um one of my friends i'm not gonna give too many details because i don't want to like accidentally like out anybody but one of my friends obviously gay obviously gay like he radiates gayness but he is not out and he's really uncomfortable with himself he seems really sad he seems really upset all the time and like i try to be really supportive of him and um you know just say you know hey you know be yourself and i'll still love you we're still gonna be friends and you know you'll be happier and it'll be it'll be great and you know i try to be really positive for him but He's got a family who is like 1000% not down with gay people. And so I think that's really a big barrier for him because he's afraid of losing that family connection, which is in itself a whole other discussion, because if your family doesn't let you be who you are, then what kind of a family is it? Um, but like just seeing how unhappy he is all the time. And he's, he's like the nicest guy. He is like the nicest guy. I want nothing but happiness for this guy. And it breaks my heart that like he cannot or he does not feel comfortable being his authentic self because of fear or because of other people's hangups. And, like, how many other people across the world feel that way? I mean, whether it's about being gay or whether it's, like, you want to be a musician and you don't want to be a musician because your dad thinks that's a stupid job or, you know, whatever. There's, like, a thousand things that people can, like, be insecure about and choose to not do, even if that's the thing that they really want to do, you know? Like, if you are a man and you want to wear dresses or if you are, you know, any, whoever you want to date or, like, whatever, you know, there's so many things that people are, can be insecure about, and if you don't do those things, you end up, like, having this, like, regret or sadness in your life, and it would be amazing if we could just, like, all of us authentically choose what we want to do and be that person, and then have it be okay, like, you don't need to be afraid about it. I mean, utopia, I guess, but, I mean, I, I think that's something we should aspire to. Now, on the other hand, not to bring this conversation down, um, so you know, I'm working on the Hunchback of Notre Dame, right? And so I have never read the book. Now, now that I've done the play, I really want to read the book, and I probably will try to make time for it. But that book was written—I don't even know when it was written, like long, like long time ago. I mean, a couple hundred years, I'm thinking, <laughs> probably, right? Like at least like 200 years, maybe more than that. I, I'm not a history major. I'm sure someone's really appalled that I don't know this information right now. <laughs> um, but in the book, Victor Hugo talks about so many themes which are relevant today. And in that book, he says, I'm waiting for a better tomorrow. I wish things were going to get better. I'm looking forward to a future when we don't act like this. And here we are in 2000 motherfucking 18, still acting like this. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, Victor Hugo, but in the last two or 300 years, we haven't fucking advanced at all, which actually makes me very sad for the human race, because if he's writing about this shit back in the day, I mean, and we're still going through the same stuff right now, I mean, what is fundamentally broken about humanity that we can't get past this stuff? Why can we not accept our own kind? I just don't fucking understand it. I mean, I would argue that we have made progress, but maybe not as much progress as he's hoping that we would have made by this time. It's really sad how many elements of the book are absolutely 100% applicable today. Like if you had changed the language a little bit, like put like modernized the English a little bit, you could be talking about something that is literally going on right now today, like about immigrants or about, 
you know, people who are different. I mean, like all those issues still very, very relevant, which is kind of gross and sad and scary when you think about it too much. So I guess I'm just like, ugh, people, humanity is just like, you know, like I, I often tell the wife, um, and this is a cliche, super sci-fi cliche. I know that I'm not the first person to ever say this, but like <laughs> if aliens came to our planet and looked at like what kind of people we were, I almost wouldn't blame them if they nuked us out of existence because we are so fucked up and so broken in some ways. Like we're just like cannibalizing ourselves over and over and over. And we just like fail to find peace with our own people, which is really sad. So anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, pride. That was pride parade. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got any other, uh, banter to discuss, dude? Uh, no, we're kind of short on time. So that is all I wanted to discuss today. What about you? I, man, I really, really, really want to have a discussion with you, but we should probably move on. I was going to talk about uh, 10, the score of 10, the number 10. What does it mean in relation to game reviews? But I feel like that's a bigger discussion. I'm going to save that. I'm going to leave it up on my notes because I really, really want want to get your opinion. And I think there's some ripe discussion to be had there. But let's move on and let's actually get to the games because we are going to run out of time. Um, Yes. You want to you want to steer the ship and we'll move on to games? Yes, I am ready to switch gears. Um, Let's do it. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Games Talk, um, we've only got a few games planned today. Uh, Brad, have you? Brad and I both have a code for Hitman Sniper Assassin. Uh, Spoiler alert, if you have not been paying attention to game news, um, IO Interactive, the developer of Hitman, and they have been partnering with WB Games lately, Um, they announced Hitman 2, um, just like a couple days ago, like two or three days ago, um, which is awesome. I'm super duper excited about that. Uh, Hitman 2016 was my number two game of the year that year. Um, I love Hitman. I've talked about on the show to death. I've written so much on Game Critics about Hitman. Um, they unveiled Hitman 2 and alongside Hitman 2, they unveiled, um, a game called Hitman Sniper Assassin, which is basically an updated version of... Uh, Hitman Sniper Challenge, which came out as a pre-order bonus with um, Hitman Absolution back in like 2008 or 9 or 10 or whenever that game came out. I didn't look up the year, but um, this is a new uh, Hitman minigame where basically you are perched up on a, um, like on a cliff somewhere, you're looking down on some kind of event in the Sniper Assassin game, the new one. It's like a big wedding that's going on, and you don't move uh, Agent 47 anywhere. You just look through the scope of the sniper rifle at the event. The objectives in this one, there's three people you need to take out, and then you try to take out as many of the bodyguards in the area as you can. But it might sound simple, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the mission. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, the three people are constantly on the move. They're uh, sometimes inside the manor. It's like a big mansion that they're at, that they're having the wedding at. Sometimes they're inside, and it's hard to keep track of them. Sometimes they're walking around on the mansion grounds. Um, allegedly, they meet up at some point, which I haven't seen it yet, but the mission's only 15 minutes long, and once the time limit expires, they exit. And if you cause any kind of panic, then if they see what's going on, they will flee, and you have to try to kill them while they're fleeing the scene. But uh, I played it a few times, maybe like five times yesterday. Uh, Brad, have you played this at all yet? I downloaded it. I didn't have time <laughs> to play. I, You know, one of my favorite sayings is the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and I'm just full of good intentions right now. I meant, I meant to play it. 
<laughs> I literally had literally had no time, so I, I downloaded it. Actually, that's not true. My wife downloaded it for me because I wasn't home. <laughs> so it was ready, but I just I no I didn't play it. Sorry, dude. So I'm gonna I rely on you. I have played the the previous ones though. I mean, I did play the previous sniper challenge. I thought it was very cool, and I would definitely be up for more of that. So I mean, tell me what was your impressions? Um, it is. I mean, it's basically the same thing as the old one. Um, the big new thing in this one though, and I forgot to mention this in my little intro, is that. They added a co-op mode to this one, and I don't know if it's split screen. I imagine it's probably not, because split screen game split screen games are very hard to come by these days. Um, but they added a new mode where it's like there's two assassins. It's like a black dude and like this like white woman who fucking has the side of her head shaved, which I thought we were like over that look, but I guess it's coming back around with Hitman Sniper Assassin. Um and it's like you it's i think it's the same setup where it's like the wedding and but it's just like a co-op thing where you both have your own sniper rifles you both have your own scopes and you can sort of like time kills so that way you can like take out maybe two guards who are like talking to each other and then you can like wipe them both out at the same time so that it doesn't cause a disturbance i haven't tried it yet hopefully uh you and i will be able to try it in the future whenever your or both of our schedules settle down um but uh, that's kind of like the big new thing it's added. I haven't tried it yet. But I mean, other than that, like the solo mode, it's pretty much like the same as the Absolution Sniper Challenge. Like, I mean, it's obviously not the exact same mission, but it's very similar. Like you're at a big event. There's a wedding going on. There's bodyguards walking around. You have three different kinds of ammo. You have a like a regular ammo. You have a wall piercing ammo to shoot people through walls and you have a shockwave ammo. And to be honest, I haven't even used the shockwave ammo yet. Um, cause the game doesn't really tell you what it does. You just kind of have to, it just kind of throws you in and like lets you kind of cuts you loose. And the general way that I go about a sniper challenge is like, because it has a time limit, I'm very, um, I just kind of like want to get it done and get it over with like the first time I play it. But in sure Hitman fashion, you, you're you supposed to play it like over and over and over again to really figure out what's going on in the intricacies of the level. And so like the first time I played it, I failed. The second time I played it, I failed. The third time, I think I killed all the targets, but it was like a big panic that was going on. And then I think it was like the fourth or fifth time I actually managed to take all the main targets out without causing a panic. But then I caused a panic later and was, you know, trying to take out all the bodyguards as I could as they were, like, running around trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and you get upgrades to your sniper rifle. You get uh, There's, like, a point system. So if you, like, kill people with headshots, you get more points. If you kill people in a way which hides the body, like if a guy is standing in front of the balcony and you shoot him and he, like, flies over the balcony or into a bush or into a window or something that counts as hiding a body, you get bonus points for that. And... As you go through each, or as you play the level over and over again, you get, like, maybe, like, a bigger magazine for the rifle, and then a shorter reload time, or maybe, like, a better scope or something, and there's, like, there's, like, 20 upgrades for it, so as you play it, you get more. Um, I like it. I think it's really good. Um, I think it's a perfect sort of revival of the Absolution Sniper Challenge. And, uh, you know, it's for people who like that, who were kind of wanting more. Um, very similar setup, uh, very similar rules, but different level, different targets. Um, obviously, graphically updated to sort of match what Hitman 2016 looked like. But um, I like it. I think it's good. I approve of it. And if you pre-order any version of the Hitman game, you get it for free. I don't know if the game is uh, available standalone to buy, but I know if you pre-order Hitman, you get it immediately to download. 
Well, that sounds excellent. I was a really big fan of the previous Sniper Challenge. I thought that was such a cool mode, and I had so much fun with it. And it, despite the fact that, like, you know, kind of like you said, like, you're basically just watching one scene and you're perched in one area. Like, I thought that was just really, really fun. Like, I, I thought it was very, very well done. So I do look forward to um, killing people with you in tandem, sir. We will be a <laughs> a, uh, a pair of death-dealing dudes um, from on high. That sounds really good. That sounds really fun. I mean, I, I like Hitman. I like Sniper Challenge. I'm down. Um, I, and like I said, I do have a code for this. I just need the, the time. I just need the raw time to sit down and do it. But yeah, sounds like a winner. I mean, seems like if you like the previous one, you're going to like this one too, right? Yeah, it's pretty much, it's like a classic definition of more of the same, but the nice thing is that it's been so long since the old one came out. I forget yeah. that there was like an iOS game based on this, but so i kind of leaving that out, but the original one, like it's been so long since there was like a console version of this that it's nice to, to have an updated version of it that's just like in a new level, in a new space, but feels, you know, organically very similar to the old one. Well, the thing I like about this too is like, I mean, okay, so putting all my cards on the table, I am actually not a contract killer, and I don't really know the ins and outs of being a contract killer. But, like, it does seem like, despite all of Hitman's various adventures, like, at some point, he would just be, like, in a sniper tower doing sniping. I mean, that seems like the easiest way to kill people. And, uh, I mean, as anybody looking at the news knows. So, it's I'm glad that they've done that a little bit, because, despite, you know, yeah, he can put on, like, a wig and a mustache and go walk into, like, you know, a garden center and kill people, or he can... You know, whatever, like his various misadventures where he dresses up and does all these weird, cool video gamey things, which is fun. But at, at some time you just want to think, you know, just shoot some dude like that's all you got to do, really. And so rather than going through the rigmarole of finding three different key cards and, you know, the the special shoes and whatever you need, like just, you know, you get a good window and shoot a guy or something. That, that seems like real, real expedient. So I like that they've done this. I think it's been kind of lacking from previous Hitman games. And that's always one of my favorite moments is just sniping somebody from across the way. So definitely up for more of this looking forward to diving in at some point when i get time yay me too diving in with you whenever we're both free and like i don't know six months from now we can both carve out some time to do it together <laughs> yeah it'll be it'll be like when hitman like three comes out or whatever like we'll just <laughs> we'll get around to it at some point <laughs> Well, last so last week, um, you teased very briefly about a new game that you were playing. Um, and to be honest, I feel like an idiot even having to ask you this, but is it just pronounced vampire or is it vampire? Do you know the technical pronunciation of this game title? I don't know how this particular game is pronouncing it, but according to, like, you know, other media and other sources and just, you know, I'm not the definitive expert on this. I would say it's Vampire, but, I mean, maybe maybe someone will contradict me on that. But I think that's what we're going to roll with today. All right, we will roll with that then. So last week you gave a very small tease because you'd been playing it. Um, I know you've been busy, but you've been playing it more. Uh, reviews are up on Game Critics, not by Brad, uh, but by Dan Weissenberger, if people want to go read that. But... It looks like this is shaping up to be an excellent game, and you only gave a little bit of info about it last time because we were running out of time, but update me on everything you know about Vampire so far. I will do, um, but before I do that, i got to say it's really a weird time to be in games right now because there are so many games coming out, and games are coming out at such a fast pace. It feels like there's like a lot of buildup, and when a game comes out, you talk about it for two days, and then like you just move on. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like because I wasn't ready last week, like the discussion has already moved on from this game. Like I feel like <laughs> it's just it's old news now. 
Um, which, you know, not necessarily true, but Jesus Christ. Like, I just feel like I'm coming so late to the party and it was only like last week, but okay. Uh, yes, Vampire is put out by Don't Nod, which are the guys who did uh, Remember Me, which I was not really a fan of. Uh, mechanically, I liked it stylistically, but I did not like the mechanics of it. And then they also did Life is Strange, which I have not played. I bought the whole entire thing, and I mean to play it someday. Again, Road to Hell, Pay with Good Intentions. Uh, <laughs> have not gotten around to it, but a lot of people tell me it's great, so I'll play it at some point. Anyway... Um, Vampire is a really, really excellent game. Um, just to give you kind of a context of what to expect. So it's like real time, third person action where you play a specific character. You're not making your own character. Like I want to clear that up really quickly because I think a lot of people had a lot of misconceptions about what this game was supposed to be. And I don't really think that it's the fault of the publisher or the developer. I think they were fairly clear on what the game was, but I think people wanted this to be something else. Um, I think a lot of people want this to be like the second coming of Vampire the Masquerade, which is a very well-loved open-world um, kind of PC, kind of a Deus Ex sort of a game from what I gather. I've never played it, but people have told me about it a million times. And it sounds like Deus Ex with vampires, um, which <laughs> sounds awesome, honestly, but I've never played it. But that's not that's not what this is. So I think a lot of people were thinking, is it a sim? Can I do a non-violent run? Can I make my own character? No, none of those things. None of those things. This is a very specific story. It's about a guy named uh, Dr. Jonathan Reed. Sorry about that. I knocked something over. My bad. Um, Dr. Jonathan Reed, who is in England a little bit after the end of World War One, And he's coming back. And uh, so you you play that character. You do not get to choose your own character. London is in ruins. The world is a fairly open world, but it's small. It's a very reasonable scale. And you talk to people with like very Mass Effect style conversation options where you'll meet a guy and you'll ask him questions about his life or whatever. And then depending on if you have found some documents or if you found some gossip somewhere, it'll unlock like these other like secret options. So if you've got some dirt on somebody, you can ask them about the dirt and then that'll lead into other conversations, et cetera, et cetera. So you have your Mass Effect dialogue, and then um, it's helpful to think of the world and the combat as very, like, very Bloodborne-ish, very Bloodborne light. Um, it's not as polished or as um, nuanced as that, but it's very, very similar. So if you think of um, the world of Bloodborne, how everything was, like, really dark and decrepit, and the city seemed to be falling apart, like, that's really what London seems like right now. And the combat, uh, like I said, third-person, real-time action. So you have a number of skills... That are all, of course, obviously vampire oriented. Like you can, um, you know, sprout claws from your hands to, to tear guys. You can increase the power and the suction of your bites that you do in the middle of battle. You can, um, you know, have different, you know, different kind of like vampire powers. If you know anything about vampires or anything, you can imagine all the different sorts of powers you can get. Um, but that happens in real time. And so the combat is very, very vicious. Like they're not afraid to kill you. Like they, um, will throw encounters at you that are where you're outnumbered or where sometimes the enemies are a little bit higher level than you and you can die pretty quickly. So like if you don't level up correctly or if you're not really in tune with the combat, I mean, you will, you will die quite a bit and it's, it's a little bit of surprise and maybe um, unexpected to go from walking around mass effect style, talking to people, having a million dialogue choices to, all of a sudden I need reflexes and I'm dodging and I'm dodging and I'm dodging and I'm counterattacking and I'm dodging and you know, like that kind of a, it's kind of a weird mashup, but I think it really works. I think it's really fun and interesting. So I like that part a lot. Um, 
So that's kind of the gist of it. Before I dive into more blather, did you have any specific questions or anything that you want me to hit first? Okay, so I've only played, I know like you've talked a couple times about it being like Bloodborne, and I've only played like five minutes of Bloodborne to be completely honest, but like, in like action game terms, like is it anywhere comparable to like Ninja Gaiden or Devil May Cry in either of those scenarios? No, it's not quite as, no, it's not. There's, like, no combos in this. Like, as you may be thinking of, like, a Devil May Cry or Ninja Guide, nothing like that. It's about positioning where you'll be surrounded by guys, and so you have to think, okay, so where is the best place for me to attack because an attack is going to take me, like, X seconds to do. So I might be able to get this guy, but if I if I hit this guy, then this other guy is going to close in on me and he's going to get me from behind, so that's not a good option. And he can do, like, a little vampire dash where he kind of turns into smoke for a second. And so you can dash around the battlefield pretty quickly, but it's more about, like, finding where's the best place to strike, getting out of the way of trouble. And when you do strike, you're usually only hitting, like, once or twice in a row. Like, it's not, like, combo, 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 and then you're, like, killing a guy. It's, like, hit him once or twice, get out, dodge around, get in, hit him once or twice, get out, and then look look for another opening. Kind of like that. One twist is that um, stun plays a really big part in this game, and so you will have various different weapons. And this is actually another way that it's actually a lot like Bloodborne, where if anybody who played Bloodborne remembers, each weapon had its own, like, unique quirks. Like, it had, uh, you know, the weapons, there were not many weapons, but they were all, like, fairly different in how they were used. Kind of the same thing here. For example, I'm using a a big mace right now, um, which might seem kind of clunky, but it does a shitload of damage. And it also, its special ability is that it can parry other people's weapons. So if you, um, somebody's attacking you with a machete or something, you parry with the weapon and they go instantly go into a stun. And stun is great because that's when you can bite people. So biting people gives you life back, plus it gives you blood, which is kind of like your magic meter. Um, So you can do as many special powers as you have blood for. So you really want to be like biting guys pretty regularly throughout the combat to like kind of recharge your health and get more magic power back. Um, but other weapons, like you can have like a gun, shotgun, pistol, um, a knife that bleeds people and you can like absorb that blood. There's like uh, stakes that you can use that'll stun people. So it's really about like balancing your loadout and your combat style so that, you know, whatever way you like to play, um, there's several different options. But, you know, having the right style for the right kind of weapon and then like getting in and getting out and dodging a lot is pretty fast and uh, it's pretty deadly. Like most battles are over fairly quick. Um, especially for you, you cannot take a lot of hits, even after you level up, like you're still fairly fragile. Um, so you got it. You can never really like snooze through the combat. Okay. All right. Good. So the more, like, I'm really glad that you're talking, that you're playing this and talking about it because this is one of those games that like, if I, if you hadn't talked about on the podcast, I would have never thought to play it. And after you talked about it last week and kind of seeing a little bit of like the Twitter sphere, um, you know, like, uh, people talking about it a little bit. Um, I put it on my Gamefly queue, and I'm really mad because I was hoping... Sometimes I get really lucky, and when I put a game on my Gamefly queue, they will send it, like, the day before it launches in stores, and it'll get here, like, two or three days after uh, its release date. And I was really hoping that would happen this time because I have a two-game Gamefly pass, and I only have one game out right now. And I was like, oh, if I put it on there, I'll get it real quick, and I can play it, and we can talk about it on the show. But unfortunately... Gamefly has not sent it yet, but I, this is like a rare case where you bring up a game on the show I've never heard of or probably wouldn't be interested in. And I'm like actually really, really interested in playing it to see what it's like to kind of get down on it and see if I like it or not. 
Um, so I'm really looking forward to playing this, but keep, uh, keep talking, go forward with anything else you want to discuss on it. All right. So if you like, I know that you mentioned you're a fan of Ninja Gaiden in the past, correct? Oh yeah. Okay. So this is nowhere near as hard as that. And if you can play Ninja Gaiden, you can totally play this as well. Um, but the interesting thing about this game, excuse me, is that there's no difficulty setting, and I've heard a lot of people be upset about that, and I totally get that, because if you're the kind of player who just wants, like, like you know, who wants to go in for, like, a Mass Effect-style story, but you don't really want to do real-time combat, it can be a real bummer, because uh, there's no pacifist route. You have to um, kill people, because you're a vampire, you're a predator, you have to, like, eat people to survive. But the way that they do it in this game is actually really interesting, because when you meet people, and you'll meet, like, there's, like, uh, there's a bunch. There's a shitload of people in this game. There's like maybe <laughs> at least 12 or 15 people per zone, which may not sound like a lot, but when you realize how much dialogue is, is in with each person and how much talking you're going to have to do, like it's actually a lot of talking. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. I'm just I'm dying of like allergies or something here. Um, <laughs> so what happens is, and the game tells you straight up, like the game is not shy. They tell you literally, if you want to level up fast, you must eat people. The more people you eat, the stronger you will be. That is not a mystery. It's not a question. They tell you, like, multiple times, hey, if combat is too hard, maybe think about eating somebody because it'll make you stronger. And that's true. It's true. So the choice of the game is, do you eat people to get stronger and level up quickly? Or do you choose to be, like, the nice vampire and don't eat anybody and, you know, go as long as you can without killing anybody and if you do other things, like simply by existing, you will level up, like by talking to people, by doing side quests, by finding certain things in the environment, like you will gain experience and do that, but it's much slower and, and less. So just by being an older vampire, kind of kind of neatly keeping in with vampire lore, the longer you exist, the stronger you will be, which is true, which is true and cool. But if you are getting killed in combat and if you are struggling, then you better eat a couple people. But the... <laughs> The thing with this is that all these people are characters. And so, like, the way that you do this is when you talk to people, if you find them and kill them right away, you get, like, very little experience, like a third or half of what you would normally get. So it's not really worth it. And the way that you you get better experience is by talking to them and learning about them as people. And if you unlock more of their secrets, they somehow their blood gets richer or maybe you just get more nutrition out of it somehow. But the more time you spend with them, and get to know them better, the better their blood is and the stronger you be, and then you'll get more experience and you'll level up faster. But in order to do that, you have to talk talk to them and you have to, like, help solve their problem or you have to figure out what's bothering them or, like, you know, somehow be their friend in some way. And so, like, this real back and forth of, like, I really want to eat you, but at the same time, I kind of like you and you're kind of cool and I don't really want to eat you. And so, like, you end up, I mean, I'm... In my run right now, I have eaten no one at all. And I'm, like, about more than halfway through the game. I've literally eaten zero people. But um, I'm doing okay. I think I've been doing a lot of the side quests. I've been doing a lot of the extra stuff that you can do to work around that problem of not eating people. And I think I'm doing fine. I mean, finding a really good weapon helps. And just um, being okay with third-person combat really helps, too. So I'm doing my best to not eat anybody. And I believe that there is a special ending if you can get through the whole game without killing anybody. So that's uh, giving me something to look forward to. But I think it's just a really cool idea of, yeah, you can eat these people and get stronger, but then these people will be gone from the story. Like, all of the storylines will end. You won't be able to finish um, any of those quest lines, or you won't be able to see what happens. And the other thing is that the the more people you eat, like, the worse a zone gets. Like, you'll, 
the world is like in four zones. And so each one has a certain number of people. And if you eat too many of them, like, you know, like disease comes back in the city or like crime goes up or depression strikes that area. And so like the city as a whole gets worse. The more people that you eat, like it's darker and more grim and just, you know, everything suffers. So if you want things to be healthy and as positive as possible, you need to eat as few people as possible. And then, but that also means that the game is going to be harder for you because you're not eating people. So you're like a weaker vampire and the whole thing just all kind of comes together just really brilliantly. I think it's just really smart, really interesting, um, really makes you think about your choices and really makes you take the time to get to know people and figure out like what their deal is. And, uh, it's just really, it's really fascinating to play a game like this that really approaches vampires in this way because I feel like it's been a really long time since anybody has really tackled it in a serious way. And I think they're doing a really good job. I just, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I wish I had more time because I was hoping to be done with it by now, but I just haven't had time to play. So what I have seen so far has been great. Um, easily going to be one of my top 10 games this year for sure. So nothing really bad to say about it. I mean, sometimes there can be a little bit too much dialogue, but I'm being really super thorough also. Like you don't have to talk to these people, but I want to see everything and talk to everybody. So I'm doing like everything possible. So it sometimes it feels like I'm spending a little bit more time talking than I am playing, but that's kind of on me because I choose to do that. Uh, but I dig it. I dig it. I dig it a lot. I think, um, it's a really cool take on vampires. I think it's got a really cool gameplay mechanic and I, uh, Love the the voices are, are fantastic. I mean, the art direction is really strong. I just think it's a great game overall. If you were playing this game in a headspace to where you're planning on eating people, is it possible, and I say this kind of jokingly, like to like meet someone and maybe like not like them as much, but be like, oh yeah, like I'm going to talk to you a lot and level up our relationship. And I know I'm going to be eating your ass later. Like, is that a thing that's easy to do in this game? I mean, it just depends on, um, <laughs> it depends on you, I guess. I mean, yeah, there's a dozen people I could eat and some people are clearly like, I am a nurse who works overtime for free and I'm helping the sick. So maybe you're going to feel bad about eating that person. And then there's a guy who's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a grimy drug dealer and I'm telling you to fuck off and I don't like you. And you're, you know, like there's guys like that who you're like, I wouldn't feel bad about killing you at all. <laughs> um, so there's a variety of people. I mean, clearly there's a few that are pretty easy gimmies where I don't think anybody would feel too guilty about eating them. And then there are some, and those are, are worth less usually because they're the easy low hanging fruit. But if you pick off, like, somebody who's really important, like, really, if somebody's really important to the story, that's worth a lot more experience. But then it's also like, okay, they're really central. I'm going to close off, like, a whole branch of the narrative if I kill this person. And, you know, and they're kind of cool. Like, there's a lot of people I think are, are interesting and neat. So it's, yeah, it's it's definitely not as easy to do. Although I suppose you could just, like, do a separate playthrough and just be like, well, I'm going to murder everybody this time and just see how that goes out. But, uh I, I am still in the pacifist vampire route myself. Yeah, I have a feeling when I play this, I will probably play it very similarly to you because as I've talked about on the show before, when it comes to games that give you choices like this, I generally go as pacifist as I possibly can and like as stealthy as I possibly can. But hearing you talk about this game is also making me think about sort of about Dishonored because like in Dishonored, um, like, the more people you kill, the more, like, gross the city becomes also, and the more, like, the rat plague spreads, and the more, like, dangerous things are. So, like, that kind of gives me 
um, Dishonored vibes a little bit from what you're talking about. So, like, whenever I play this game, I really hope that I can get on board with the combat because that seems to be the thing that's sort of, like, from what I've heard on Twitter from people talking about, that's kind of, like, the barrier for entry in the game. And hopefully if I can get on board with the combat and kind of get down with what it's doing, then I can really um, kind of... uh, sink my teeth into this game oh if you will. dear um, oh dear oh dear and enjoy it but uh yeah if gamefly would ever send this to me then i could play it and then report back but it, i'm sure they'll probably send it like the day i leave for my business trip and then i won't be able to play it for like two weeks but as soon as i do you'll be hearing back from me about this Right on. Let me just say one more thing really quickly, and then let's move on to Detroit. But I want people to know, like, I I think people are making too big a deal about the combat. I think this combat is pretty comparable, <laughs> pretty comparable with a lot of other action games. So as long as you are even vaguely familiar with action games, I don't think it's really that big of a problem, especially if you take the time to spec yourself out and, you know, get the right weapon, as you should in any game. I mean, I, I think it's – I don't think it's anywhere near the problem that people are saying. And also, I want to be really clear in saying – um there so you will you will fight in this game there is no way to get around fighting in this game you can avoid encounters and you can not eat people for experience but there are boss encounters so it's like you you will eventually have to fight so like don't come to this game if you think you're gonna like stealth your way through or you're just not gonna kill anybody i mean that's fine you can do that but there will be times when there is no other option other than to fight so please be aware that there are bosses there are certain encounters you can't get out of and that fighting is just part of this game like don't come to this looking for a, a sim where you're going to be like the total hippie vampire and not kill anybody or whatever <laughs> this this game is about combat like it's a big part of the game so just be aware of that all right yeah i think i had heard that before but i did i also heard some confusion about it about people thinking that you could just stealth your way through like deus ex but i understand that yeah. combat's a thing and hopefully i can get on board with it I have no doubt. If you can play fucking uh, Ninja Gaiden, you can play this, no problem. But enough about Vampire, or Vampire, sorry. Let's move on and talk about Detroit in the time that we have left. I am pretty curious. Should we do a spoiler warning right now? Is that an appropriate time to do it? Uh, I think so. Okay, let me do the spoiler warning, and then you launch into it, my friend. So this is the official spoiler warning for Detroit... Become human? Beyond human? What is it? (laughs) Detroit become human. Detroit become human. Also (laughs) Chicago. Also Minneapolis. Who knows? All the cities where you can become human. Spoilers for all those. This is your excessive over the top. We're really not kidding. Spoiler warning. And as far as I'm concerned, Corey is free to spoil the entire game if he wants to. So just heads up if you don't want to be spoiled. This is the spoiler section on Detroit. And I think that's probably pretty fair. And... Corey, go. Tell us everything about Detroit. Oh, boy. Okay, and also, to clarify, this is, like, the last thing we're talking about on the show because we did banter first. So if you don't want to hear about Detroit, you can leave now and you won't miss anything. We're not talking about anything after this. So, um, so okay, so Detroit Become Human is uh, Quantic Dream's latest game. It's by David Cage, written and directed. Uh, he did... Indigo Prophecy, a.k.a. Fahrenheit and European Territories, um, Heavy Rain, uh, Beyond Two Souls with Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe, and now he has done this. And this um, is very much like all of his other games. It is uh, has a lot of choices you can make um, that kind of bend the narrative around what you're doing. I think this is probably the most ambitious um, and successfully so sort of like narrative warping game that he's made. 
Uh, because, like, in Heavy Rain, I mean, yeah, like, some of the characters can die and some of the narratives can get cut off and stuff. But it has kind of, like, it's pretty easy, like, to make it through a lot of the QTE segments in that game. And it's pretty obvious, like, sometimes whenever you make choices that things are going to not end up well for that person. Um, but in Detroit, there's a lot bigger of a gray area. So Detroit Become Human is about a futuristic Detroit. I think it's, like, 2038, where... Um, you know, after motor companies in Detroit had been shut down and it's kind of like lost its heyday of like, you know, mechanical engineering there, um, androids have become the new thing in Detroit, sort of like replacing that industry. And it's kind of Blade Runner-esque a little bit. Um, androids have, you know, integrated into society. They are used as, you know, uh, robots for home, for cleaning. They do a lot of uh, really menial labor jobs, like they drive buses and they're like janitors and stuff. And you play as three separate androids in the game. One is named Kara. She begins her, her story as a, um, she's getting repaired for damages and she belongs to this kind of like, drunk fat loser guy who's raising a daughter he's like a single dad and he's kind of gross and washed up and like his wife left him and um she comes home after she is repaired and then you discover what happens with them the other one you play as is marcus he is the uh personal assistant for this uh famous artist who is old and who is in a wheelchair so Marcus uh, is kind of like his companion and like, you know, gives him his medicine and wheels him around his big mansion and everything. Um, and then the last one you play as is Connor, who is my favorite. And Connor is sort of like a Blade Runner. He is an android, a very specialized androids because they have different models, who is actually investigating deviant androids. And deviants are androids who have... Um, sort of, like, gained their own um, sentience, I guess you could say. They, like, are... They've broken through whatever programming they have that allows them to do... Uh, that, that sort of, like, bars them from doing things that their masters tell them to do. And he hunts them. And usually deviants are... Like, they end up murdering, usually. Like, so he's kind of, like, the private investigator. Um, he's working with a human police officer in Detroit Police Department, and they're investigating, like, a string of android murders and trying to figure out what's causing the deviant behavior in androids. And you play as all three of these characters. For the most part, their stories do not really intertwine with each other. Like, for example, in Heavy Rain, the stories fr from the four main characters, like, some of them are pretty constantly intertwining with each other. But in Detroit, they're pretty separate from most of the game. And they kind of sort of come together in the end, but it's not, like... The game, and this could be a fault of the game, it doesn't really build really well toward the conclusion of the game. Um, but before I go forward, Brad, is there anything I left out or any questions you have before I move forward? No, I mean, I think I'm with you so far. I've, I've played all of the other previous David Cage games except for Omicron. So I pretty have, I, I have a pretty good idea of what you're talking about. So just to be clear, like, do you, do you rotate through these three characters one by one or does it like you like scene by scene or like what is how, how do you switch between them um it's scene by scene pretty similarly to how heavy rain did it so like uh like one of the like the first chapter you play is connor and then i think it's like Kara and then marcus and you kind of go back and forth between all of them like scene per scene and sometimes like usually it goes like one two three one two three but sometimes it'll like go back and forth between like marcus and connor marcus and connor and then go like back to Kara. Um, but it's just scene by scene. And when you get to the end of every scene, it presents this big flow chart in front of you that has like, 
it basically shows you like everything that could have happened in the level and some of it's like not really a big deal but some of the stuff is like has it'll the game will let you know that it will alter like future events in the game like in a future um in a future chapter or you know some of the main characters much like in heavy rain they can die so you know obviously if a character dies like they're not really gonna be a part of the narrative anymore um so yeah, you switch back and forth scene by scene. The game is cons- is uh, comprised of a lot of self-contained scenes, but the things that happen in them can have pretty big rippling effects for the rest of the game. Okay, okay. So I'm with you so far. So uh, mechanically, I think I have a pretty good understanding of it. Um, so continue. What else? Like, so how how are you liking it? You finished it, correct? I did finish it. Yes. Okay. Lay on, sir. Lay on. <laughs> okay. So. Um... So, okay, so out of the three main stories, like, Kara, her story is basically, like, she's an android for this loser, like, washed-up dad, and he is abusive, and he basically has been repeatedly abusing uh, his previous androids, and so every time he sends them in to get them fixed, and whenever they get fixed, their memories get wiped, so they kind of, like, start over, and whenever you take control of Kara, you discover that he has been abusive toward his daughter, and she is maybe, like, 10 years old or 12 or something, and so there's a point in the game pretty early on with her where you can decide whether or not to break through her programming uh, barriers to protect the daughter and sort of, like, try to run away, and if I'm not mistaken... Uh, This did not happen to me, but I'm pretty sure, like, early on in her game, she can die, like, from being abused by by the, like, washed-up dad. So I'm pretty sure her story can get cut short, like, really early in the game. But whenever I did it, I obviously, I broke her programming. I saved the daughter. We escaped and left the dad behind. And so her story becomes, like, a very, like, mother-daughter, like, we're on the streets. We're trying to get safe. We're trying to... Um, eventually, she's trying to get across the border to Canada because apparently Canada is, like, I don't know, like, an android safe zone or something like that. And so, like... Or an android free zone, and they can, like, exist in society there without, like, raising any suspicion or something like that. So that's, like, her story is, like, we're trying to get over the border. Marcus's story is the android uprising story where... He finds himself in a situation where the old rich guy that he's taking care of, his son, like, breaks into their house and causes a big scene. And in my playthrough, um, I broke my programming to uh, push the son because he was being a jerk and he was kind of, like, assaulting Marcus. And so I broke programming. I pushed the son. I accidentally killed him because I didn't realize that that's what would happen. The police show up to the house. They accidentally shoot me because they think I'm the guy who uh, committed the crime or was, uh, I guess, the bad guy in the situation, which, I mean, I guess I kind of was. And in Connor's story, he's basically just hunting the androids. And sometimes he's hunting androids. Like, sometimes he's hunting Marcus. Sometimes he's hunting Kara. Sometimes he's hunting things that are completely unrelated. But his kind of big thing is his partner, Hank is uh, kind of like a washed up, like was one of the best cops, uh, lieutenants on DPD. And now he's like kind of like a low life alcoholic, like borderline suicidal. And he is kind of like trying to navigate this relationship with Hank because Hank is really, he's like, doesn't like androids. Uh, He's really rude. He drinks a lot. He's kind of a jerk, but uh, Connor is assisting him in the, in the investigation. So you have to like navigate how to, Um, go about that relationship like whether you want to be aggressive toward hank or whether you want to try to be nice or just be like rational or straightforward um and so connor uh like to be completely honest connor's like like 
basically like super duper the best character in the game. Like Kara's story is dumb. Marcus's story is dumb. Connor's story is like where where it's at for me in this game. So anytime I got a section with Connor, I was like really excited because like his story has like a really good driving force of like um you know, like the investigations, like he's always on a on a crime scene. He's balancing crime scene investigations and like hunting deviant androids with maintaining this relationship with Hank. And he also has these moments where he's in sort of like this like briefing area with this woman named Amanda. And you're not exactly sure what their relationship is because she's sort of like giving him directives from Cyberlife, which is the android company, like about, you know, you need to work with Hank. You need to find a way to make it work. She's kind of like the Oracle in the Matrix. Like she's just there to like provide him support, but she's also kind of firm with him. And so you don't really know like what the relationship is between them. And so he's got a lot going for him. And at a certain point in my game with Connor, um, I got into a discussion with Hank and Hank actually shot Connor in the head. And I was like devastated because I thought that Connor was dead and that my favorite character in the game was going to be dead for the rest of the game. But all um, sense of danger dropped out of the game because if Connor dies, they just replace him with a different Connor. So I don't know if it's possible for him to actually die at certain points in the game, but in my game, he died like two or three times and they just kept replacing him. So it made him feel like at the first time he died, I was like really upset. And then I was like, oh, they just replace him over and over again. Like, I don't, I it kind of like, I mean, I was happy because Connor was back, but I was also disappointed because like the story lost a lot of weight in that sense. Right. But, right, right. Um, but as far as like everything else goes in the game, my endings were pretty, um, pretty grim for almost everyone else like there's a section in the game where you play as marcus and you're doing like a piece you're doing a protest like you're rallying a bunch of androids you're going to like this big city square in detroit and you're doing a protest and you can decide and shape it if you want it to be a peaceful protest if you want to be like aggressive toward the police or if you just want to like flee and leave the situation like once the police start getting aggressive and I had Marcus stand his ground in that scenario and continue the peaceful protest. I was trying to be as pacifist as possible. And the police shot everybody and killed Marcus. And even though they were demonstrating peacefully, Marcus died. And his story actually, like, ended. Like, the people he was with, it would show me cutscenes and stuff where that, they were intertwining with the rest of the game. But Marcus died pretty, like, probably about 75% of the way through the game. And then at the very end of the game... Kara gets to the Canada border and there's like extra security at the Canada border and she's there with the little girl Alice and like the police have these scanners that they can use to scan you to find out if you're an android or not and she decides to like or I had her decide to let Alice go with an accomplice in the game who's a human to get through the border and then I sacrificed Kara so that Alice could get safely with these other humans uh, through the security gates. So Kara died and in my Connor story, I was trying to wrap things up with Hank in the middle of the investigation, like after things kind of went downhill. And in my game, Hank uh, resigned from the Detroit Police Department. I don't know. I think he can stay on the job at some point, but my relationship must have been so bad with him that um, he failed the investigation, which doesn't speak well to my investigative abilities, and he um, and he resigned. And then, like, right toward the end of the game, Connor goes to Hank's house to check on him, and Hank kills himself in his house. So it was oh, like, Jesus. 
all of like the most grim endings I could possibly get. And like the whole thing with Connor is like, I was trying to decide how I wanted to role play this game because like with Connor, his job is like, he's, he's in it for the mission. He's trying, he's on the human side. He's trying to figure out what the androids are doing wrong and trying to get behind them. And so I totally ran with that. Like I tried to make him like really like emotionless and really cold and really calculated whenever it came to the investigation. But I was trying to keep him warm with Hank, but obviously I did a very bad job because uh, he killed himself. So that, I mean, I can't be trusted to cultivate human relationships with people, I guess is what I'm saying here. But I feel like at <laughs> the end pretty, of the game... That's a pretty grim conclusion <laughs> to come to. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so, but the weird thing with Connor is, like, I think the game it kind of pushes him toward, like, if you do a certain amount of things in the game, like, if you treat androids respectfully in the game, he can, like, break his code at the very end of the game and sort of, like, join the android uprising. And I didn't realize that was a thing that was going to happen. And, like, that wasn't his mission, and that wasn't the way that I wanted his story to go. So, luckily, I got to keep him, like cold and android the whole game and that's the way i wanted him to be but like when i got to the end there's like a section where he's like kind of facing off against the leader of the android uprisers and she like talks to him about like you should join us like you don't have to do this you don't have to follow your programming but because i hadn't made enough like warm android decisions up until that point i didn't have a choice like i couldn't join them at all because i had been following his mission but i guess that's like a thing like you could like make him break his programming and like join them but and it kind of seems like that's like what the game wants you to do but doesn't like tell you until the very end and I was kind of disappointed because I liked the idea of like keeping him on the job and keeping him you know with the DPD and like doing his thing and like following the investigation because that's like 90% of his story like I wouldn't want him to behave that way for 90% of the game and then at the very end be like oh never mind like let me just throw away all this work I've been doing for the entire game and join the androids to like take over humanity. Um, So like that kind of threw a curveball at me Um, and maybe like I plan to play this again. So like maybe I'll play it again and you know, and I'll maybe I'll make him more human and I'll make him, you know, nicer. And cause there's like points in the game where he can like, there's obvious decision making about like they're fighting these androids and like maybe he can kill them or maybe he can find a way to spare them. And every time I like killed them cause I was like, okay, this androids attacking me. Like, I'm going to kill them. And so, like, that, you know, didn't look good for me, you know, as far as, like, siding with the humans because, like, I'm this android out here killing androids. Um, But I was fine with that. Like, that's the way I wanted to conduct the investigation. So I was kind of, like, all over the place with, with, like, the consistency and how I wanted their attitudes to go. Um, And I know I know we're short on time. We only have, like, a few minutes left to record. So I can't get to everything with Detroit. There's a lot to cover. Um... But I should probably cut myself off here before I, because I I don't have time to like jump into like the real nitty gritty of like individual scenes or anything. Well, yeah, we've got like three minutes left, so we are definitely <laughs> short timing it. Uh, work work is calling, but it's just like overall, I mean, this sounds really interesting, and it sounds different than what I was expecting. Um, I, uh, but yeah, we're really 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 low on time. I guess the thing that I want to ask is. Like, how do you feel this stacks up to Cage's other work? And, I mean, I've heard some people say, like, this is, like, his worst work because it does not reflect current thinking. Or maybe people are saying that Cage hasn't learned anything from the difficulties of his previous games. Do you feel like he's making the same mistakes here? Do you feel like it's better? Or, like, just really quickly, how does it stack up to his other stuff? Well, I feel like the game is fine. Like... 
it, it gets going very quickly. I was not bored. I mean, it kind of fizzles out toward the end and gets a little bit ridiculous at the end and it overstays its welcome a little bit. Um, but my thing about David Cage is like, this game would be so much better if he didn't think he were making like a deep, like Oscar nominated film. Like this game feels like the equivalent of like a really fun, like Transformers movie or like, you know, some kind of like silly action movie that's not too heartfelt, but it's like interesting enough to keep you in and keep you engaged. But the fact that he thinks he's like conducting this big, like, game about like the pressures of society and about androids being human and about oppression and about race and everything like it's just so silly like he thinks that he's like moving mountains with this narrative and like it's not like that's not the way it is but like I did enjoy it and I think it's fun I don't think it's his worst work by any stretch of the imagination um I think it's very good but I just wish that he didn't take himself so seriously about what he writes because it's a lot of it is fucking ridiculous like honestly like like Connor investigating killer androids in a strip club and literally hand-to-hand fighting two scantily clad female stripper androids in a back alley. Like, this is how ridiculous this game gets. Like, And that's not even the worst of it, but that's, like, it's just, like, so fucking ridiculous. But, like, I just wish he wouldn't take himself so seriously. I think his games would do better if he didn't pretend, like, he's creating some, like, Oscar-nominated narrative with them. All right, dude, let's put that on pause. I think there's more to cover in this, and I actually do want to talk about this a little bit more. Um, I especially want to hear what you think is his worst game, but we just simply do not have time. i got to get going to work. So why don't we um, wrap it up? Uh, I will once again apologize for causing the short show and uh, shortchanging our <laughs> listeners of our full discussion. Um, but, yeah, you want to bring it on home real quick? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So um, sorry for the short show, but that's the way things go. Um if you, uh, I guess you don't have to stick around for banter because it was at the beginning. Um, the show will go up. If you want to leave us any thoughts, comments, feedback, uh, show ideas, questions, anything, we swear we'll get around to questions eventually. You can email us at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as a collective show at sovideogames. You can also post comments on SoundCloud or on the Game Critics page when the show goes live. Uh, the best way to reach us most likely is to find us individually on Twitter. My Twitter handle is my first and last name. It's Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh, Brad, what is yours? B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. That is me on Twitter. It's also me on Instagram if you'd like to follow me there as well. I'm doing a little bit more there these days, but uh, mostly Twitter, like 90% on Twitter. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but that, that brings us to the end of episode 85. We will have episode 86 out very soon for you with some early E3 impressions uh, as well. So although you're getting a short show this week, uh, we'll have another short show probably very soon. Um, so you'll get like two short shows back to back. Just listen to them at the same time. Pretend like it's one long show and you'll be covered. Uh, and that's it. Anything else, Brad? <laughs> no, that's it. I'm going to brew a big pot of coffee tonight. I'm going to do my best to stay up late and watch those E3 announcements. I will, I'm going to, I'm going to go overtime. I'm going to do my best. So I, we're going to see what happens. All right. We will be in it together. Uh, but until then, until episode 86, uh, this brings episode 85 to a close and we will see you guys very soon for episode 86. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. Bye.